There's much to do, there's work on every hand. Hark the cry from help comes ringing through the land. Jesus calls for reapers, I must active be. What wilt thou, O Master, hear am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. thy bidding, Lord, send me. There are hungry souls who cry aloud for bread, with the bread of life they're longing to be fed. Shall they starve and famish while the feast is free? I must be more faithful, here am I, send me. Here am I. at this time very privileged together as a group of Christians to remember Jesus Christ our Savior to remember him as he expressed his wishes for us concerning the bread and the cup symbolizing his body and his blood and him wanting us to remember if you are unable to uh, pick up the emblems as you came in, and you are in need of those before we begin. If you would, raise your hand. We'll be glad to get those to you. As we talked about this morning, this time that we have now is a time for us to focus upon Jesus Christ, our Savior, to honor his request, to remember him, and to proclaim his death until he comes again. This day especially, it's not hard for us to understand about coming before someone and memorializing their life and their death and the, the things that they've accomplished. If you look to the media, you see on this day that many are memorialized and remembered and honored. They gave their lives when the Twin Towers fell. You can also 
in your mind, understand that as you come before an individual that has passed away, that we recall the good things and the precious things about them, that we can remember the good that they have brought to life. This time that we have together this evening is a very solemn time. It's a time that we don't just simply acknowledge reading of it in Matthew 26, or as Paul would reiterate Jesus' desire in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But it's a time that we approach God thinking of His Son with great respect, seeking to understand more fully the cost of His life upon that cross. We understand that our Lord suffered much, that the world didn't accept Him, that they rejected Him, a humble servant, a loving Savior, deity. They rejected Him. For you and I, we understand that Jesus' body was broken, that He suffered the scourgings, He suffered the shame, He suffered the ridicule, He suffered the physical aspects of being beaten and and treated very savagely. We understand, too, that His blood that He shed was shed for us. As a spiritual reminder, we understand that He died upon that cross, that it was Him that took our sins upon Himself. Knowing what things were to be instituted in Matthew 26, Jesus, or which things were going to occur, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper that we today, as Christians have for thousands of years, remember Him and honor and praise Him. Very familiar to us is the reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take Eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. By eating of this bread, we remember our Lord and remember the terrible treatment that he endured. We remember how he was rejected by the hands of those that didn't accept him. He was rejected by those whom he loved. Today we each proclaim Christ's death. We remember him who left the glory of heaven and came on this earth and walked as man, God, among us. So we have this time to remember him, to meditate upon him as we think of him as a humble servant. We think of his ministry, his message of love. We think of his suffering and we think of him being forsaken by his disciples. We also think of that death upon the cross, the cruelty of it, the pain, the anguish. We also think of him on that cross bearing our sins and taking those to the grave with him. It's very hard sometimes for us to take all of that in to one detail or another, each one of us thinking of Jesus in a way that I pray is bringing respect and honor to him. It's not just his physical aspect 
the physical aspect of his death that we think about this evening. It's also very humbling for us to realize and rejoice that through him we have eternal salvation, that we've been redeemed from sin, we've been made righteous, forgiven, washed by his blood. In partaking of this bread, it's to us to keep fresh in our memories and our understanding that Christ offered himself, his body, with great love. And the price that was paid to have that eternal relationship with God has come through him, and that is to have an eternal life with our Father in heaven. At this time, would you go to God in prayer with me as we seek his blessings upon this bread? Our holy and loving God, we thank you for the gift of your Son and for the marvelous grace and that precious gift that you bestowed upon us through him. Father, we ask that you bless this bread, that as we partake of it, we may remember Jesus that we may carry in our hearts always, Father, his love for us and the sacrifice that he made for us. Father, may we take of this bread in a manner that is pleasing to you, having examined our own hearts. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Paul would tell us, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you go to God and pray with me again as we seek his blessing upon this cup? Our Lord God, as we remember Jesus, your holy son, and that precious blood that poured from his body, we ask that you bless this cup that we partake of now that represents his blood that was shed for us so lovingly and willingly. Father, may we each receive your blessings so that we're able to comprehend and with what great sacrifice and suffering and love Jesus went to the cross to bear our sins. God, may we come to know that it was your purpose to redeem us that your son go to that cross and give his life for us, providing mercy and grace. Dear Father, as your, your son never lost sight of his desire to glorify you in his life by his death or in his resurrection, may we too carry in our bodies always the remembrance of Jesus our Savior and may we do this Father to your glory may we as thy children never forget and always remember that love that he had for us in Jesus name we pray amen
for our scripture reading and sermon this evening, we will sing 350, 350. If you're able, please stand. As I travel through this pilgrim land, there is a friend who walks with me. Leads me safely through the sinking sand. It is the Christ of Calvary. This would be my prayer, dear Lord, each day to help me do the best I can. For I need thy light to guide me day and night. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand.
Scripture reading this evening will be coming from Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing Sir, <clears throat> with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Tonight's lesson is about God your work, and you. Let me ask you, are there some aspects of your job you don't particularly care for? You like a lot less? I suspect that may be true with all of us. I know even in preaching, even in ministry, and I love what I do, sometimes I have to tell myself, I get to do what I have to do so that I can get to do what I love to do. Think about that. Maybe you can apply that in your work too. I get to do what I have to do. Sometimes my role involves a lot of counseling. I'd rather have a root canal than do counseling. But it seems like God keeps putting me in a position of doing that at times, and especially now more with preachers and elders in the Lord's church. I get to do what I have to do so I can get to do what I love to do. Preach and teach and praise God with His people to help lost souls know Him and to strengthen souls in the Lord. I get to do what I have to do so I can get to do what I love to do. And I hope you'll think about your job that way. Now, the Bible is the final court of appeals for every subject, and it's amazing to me how some of us as Christians have a terribly unchristlike view of our work and our responsibility thereto. When you stop and think about it, some people as Christians have the idea, work is awful. Yuck. Work is awful. Work is meaningless. I just feel like I'm that rat in going round and round. Some people think work is everything. These are all terribly flawed views of work, biblically, but they're common. Work is money. Work is money. All of these are flawed views. When we think about it, there are people who are Christians that have a view of work kind of like this. Secular work is okay, but it's not spiritual. And I want you to know that the Bible never compartmentalizes life into that way. Some of the hardest working people in all of the world are wives and mothers. 
I believe their work is spiritual and sacred, don't you? And we ought to not make statements like secular work and spiritual work because whatever our work is, it is to be done to the glory of God. Colossians 3 and verse 17. Tonight you can call this a preachy class or a classy sermon, but you'll be able to take your Bible and follow right along with me as we look at God, you, and your work. The way we'll do this is as follows. We will briefly look at what the Bible says overall about the subject of work. Admittedly, that could be a big undertaking, but I am just going to encapsulate a vast amount of information in a relatively short time by looking at four areas. Creation, fall, redemption, eternity. Creation, fall, redemption in Christ, and eternity. Let's look at work that way. After all, many of the great themes of of the Bible will be found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. This is certainly true with work. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. What I'd like to say at the very beginning is God is a worker and He expects His people to be workers too. God is a worker. He expects His people to be workers too. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice, first of all, that God is a creating God. And that His creation has purpose. It's purposeful. And when you think about the creation with all of its variety, it shows something about the power and the giftedness of our great God. But that's not all Genesis 1 says. A recurring expression in Genesis 1, fill in the blank, And it was blank. It was good or very good. So God, as a creator, shows tremendous power. He shows ability, but He shows purpose. And most of all, His creative activity, His work, shows goodness. Now look, if you will, at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. This is such an important passage concerning work and human beings. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And catch verse 28. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
you see something here. God expected Adam and Eve to work. More about that momentarily. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Looking at God and His work in the creation. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. God creates man from the dust of the ground. God's working. Notice verse 8. God plants a garden in which Adam and Eve will be placed. Adam initially, Eve a little later. Notice as the passage goes on, God supplies a river to water the garden. God is working and then you look at verses 18 through 25, God is working in the creation of a woman, Eve, for Adam. That's 18 through 25. Our God is a working God. The Bible says He doesn't slumber, He doesn't sleep. Psalm 121 and verse 4. But He gives to His beloved rest. Psalm 127 and verse 2. I think it's fascinating that Genesis 2 and verse 2 says that God rested the seventh day. Was it because he was exhausted? Of course not. But he is teaching something to us about work and the time that's important to set aside for rest and renewal. Go with me now, if you would to Genesis chapter 3. We've looked at creation and how God is a working God and it's not unreasonable at all to expect that we should be working too. But before I get into that, one more thing. Look at Genesis chapter 2. When they are in the garden... God places them in the garden to keep it. To keep it. That sounds like work to me. Doesn't it to you? Now Genesis 3. We've moved from creation. Now let's look at fall. The fall. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. They eat the forbidden fruit. Notice what God says beginning at verse 17. To Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for your dust and to dust you are going to return. Five expressions to keep in mind. When Adam and Eve violated the will of God, the first word, the first expression, sin. Sin came on the earth. And with that were some devastating consequences. Curse is the second word. You can see that in the text itself. They sinned, Genesis chapter 3, and with that sin came a curse. 
ground that had been so productive and good before, thorns and thistles, the curse, weeds, drought, floods, a curse. Continue looking at the passage and it talks about pain. Pain. What had really been up until that point a joy and what I want you to see is this. Work is not a result of the fall. Work existed in the creation of God's world by God himself and work existed when God put Adam and Eve there in the garden in an ideal circumstance. Work existed. God cares about our work and he wants us to glorify him in our work. Work was going to be a lot more backbreaking and painful because of sin and the curse. But not only that, Death. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought death into this world. Romans 5, 12 through 14. And notice number five, separation. Adam and Eve would leave the garden. And the sense of fellowship that they had with God had been affected. While they could still have a relationship with God, the closeness has been affected due to sin. We've looked at creation and what it says about work and that it's good. It's God-honoring. God Himself is the ultimate worker. And we ought to be like him in a healthy way. We've looked at the fall and the consequences of sin coming in this world. Now look at redemption. The great themes of the Bible all find their climax, their crescendo, their high point in Jesus. They all do. And work is no exception to that. What was Jesus by way of occupation for the better part of his early years? A carpenter. I suspect that he had to support his mother, Mary, and likely his siblings, who would be Joseph's children. Evidently, Joseph passed away. We don't know for sure. But Jesus certainly was known as a carpenter, the son of a carpenter. And then you think about his ministry that would lead to the cross. Turn in your Bible to John 4, 34. John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish His work. Jesus didn't see being a carpenter as being contrary to His overall work. Any more than Paul saw being a tent maker. 
as being contrary to His work. Indeed, this can be done to God's glory. Keep looking. Turn to John 5 and verse 17. Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working also. Look, if you will, again at John 17, verse 4. John 17 and verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. John 9, verse 4. John 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And you can't help but think of Christ's words while on the cross in John 19.30. It is what? Mission accomplished. The work is completed. Now when we look at Jesus and his view of work, here are three or four principles I hope you'll appreciate. Number one... Work is to be done as to the Lord. Not merely to please our superiors, but to please the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I find it striking that some Christians who really believe that they are to relate to their spouse in the Lord and that they are to relate to their children in the Lord do not think enough or pray enough about being a person who truly pleases the Lord at the workplace. You get to do things you have to do so you can get to do the things you love to do. And all of us have that in our jobs to some degree. A second principle. Have a sense of healthy ambition, but do not be greedy. Have a sense of healthy ambition, but do not be greedy. The Bible repeatedly condemns not ambition per se but selfish ambition in particular. James 3, 13 through 18. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and envy, but let each one of you esteem others as better than himself. A third principle... Work hard, but do not find your identity in what you do. Some people are so driven, they find their identity in what they do. 
They can never put things down. They are driven. We might call them type A people. That they are so intense that they can never put things down. I can understand that. I suspect it took me about 30 years in preaching to learn how to put things down. And to not overwork or be overcommitted to what I was trying to do in ministry. Because you know when you get that way, it hinders your ministry to your spouse and it hinders your ministry to your family. Amen? Isn't that true? Now, there's no employer out there that is not going to try to get you to be more committed to them But at the same time, the commitment that you have to your family is an even greater one. Here's a fourth principle and we'll move on. Be smart without being dishonest or unethical. Be smart without being dishonest or unethical. I can't help but think about Luke 16, 1 through 13, and Christ's story of the shrewd businessman. He's commended for his shrewdness, not for any lack of ethics or dishonesty he might have shown, but he's bringing out the fact that even people who are in the world understand the importance and place of work, how much more should Christians understand the importance of working smart and working hard without being unethical? That brings me to the last one. Eternity. Eternity. Genesis 1 through 3, Genesis chapters 1 through 3 are paralleled by Revelation 21 and 22. Because of Jesus, think of this in eternity. Revelation 22 verse 3 says, They will serve Him. That sounds like work to me. Work's going to exist in eternity. Work is going to exist in heaven. But it will be work that is the ultimate thrill, the ultimate joy, giving praise to God. And think about this, everybody. Think about this. The five Areas I talked about earlier that were part of the fall and sin entering this world. Look at each one of them. Adam and Eve sinned and it had an impact on everything. Now look at Revelation 21, 27. In heaven there will be nothing that defiles. 
no sin. Secondly, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the ground was cursed. Look at Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3. There is nothing accursed. When Adam and Eve sinned, they had to deal with the matter of pain and trying to get crops to grow. Revelation 21, 4. There is no pain in eternity. They had to deal with death. Revelation 21, verse 4. Death shall be no more. And then, they had to deal with being separated. They had to leave the garden. And though they could have a relationship with God, it wasn't as close or as intimate due to sin. And Revelation 22 says, They shall see His face, and we shall reign with Him forever and ever. Everything that was lost when sin entered this world will be gained and more in eternity. No wonder why we sing, we'll work till Jesus comes. No wonder why we sing, I want to be a worker for the Lord. No wonder why we sing work for the night is coming. May God help all of us to understand the place of work in our lives. And may our work be a reflection of our love and service to God. No matter what you do, may it be a reflection of your love and service to God. Thank you for listening. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. And I would encourage you, if you are not a Christian, to understand what you need to do is exercise some energy. And you need to get right with God, who loves you and sent His Son to save you. What must I do to be saved is a biblical question. Not that we earn or merit or deserve salvation, but we have to respond to what God has done in Christ. And we do that through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. Have you glorified God and reflected your love to Him by coming to Him? and becoming his child, and being added to his church. And friends, some of us as Christians need to think a lot more about our attitude at work. Have I allowed myself to become so negative and cynical that I have hurt my influence for the Lord I love? 
sometimes even as a preacher, I have to say to myself, Mike, watch your attitude. You get to do some of the things you have to do so you can get to do the things you really love to do. And that's how it is with about any job. Because that's how it is in life, isn't it? Let us stand.